This afternoon, we're thinking about genuine hospitality from this passage. Just verse 9 in 1 Peter 4. But the connection is given to us in uh, verses 7 to 9. And it's important that we see that this is the fruit of love, which is just mentioned in verse 8. Hospitality is the fruit of love. In fact, this connection is made in Hebrews 13, where, where we read, Let brotherly love continue. And the very next verse is, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You see, hospitality is connected to love. It's the fruit of love. And so we have this simple verse before us that says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's a simple verse, and we could break it down in, th- in three parts. Be hospitable. Secondly, be hospitable to one another. Speaking of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ in particular. And then thirdly, be hospitable without grumbling. So be hospitable, be hospitable to one another, be hospitable without grumbling. That's, that's what we're looking at this afternoon. So the first point is to be hospitable, to actually practice it. It's something that we are to engage in. It's, it's something that the Word of God tells us to do. And we need to remember something that's very important. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, we read that even the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, received hospitality. He received hospitality in that chapter. It would be a great privilege to have the risen Christ receive your hospitality. If that was the situation, would you offer it? Would you offer hospitality to Christ, the risen one? Well, Matthew 25 tells us that when we offer hospitality to uh, the people who are joined to Jesus Christ, he is receiving it. It's being offered to him. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's important that we realize that this call to be hospitable is a call that's provided for by the living God. It's provided by the presence of this Christ who was served in, in Luke 24. And it's on the basis of his resurrection that this was even possible. And so the second point is to be hospitable to one another. This is actually speaking to brothers and sisters in the faith, people who are believers in Jesus Christ. You see, at this time, there were traveling preachers and they went from place to place and they needed a place to stay. The inns at that time were not like the inns of our day. They didn't have the same kind of protections. You might not think that about an inn, but it was far worse in the time in which Jesus lived. And so it was more uh, safe for people to stay in people's homes. And so the expansion of the church is related to this practice of hospitality. This is something that the believers did uh, in the early uh, days of the church, and this enabled the gospel to go forward. It's actually part of the Great Commission, the spreading of the gospel. The famous Roman roads uh, aided greatly people's ability to travel. That was God's providential uh, timing. But because people were willing to take people into their homes, this enabled the gospel to spread rapidly. But in going from place to place, these traveling preachers, these people that went from town to town, uh, were uh, depending on this hospitality because, as I said before, inns were not nice places. Sometimes they said no. They said no to the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 2. There was no room for him. But there were Christians who we read about in uh, places like the book of Acts who offered hospitality. In Acts 11... Verse 25 tells us that Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, verse 26 says, he brought him to Antioch. And then it says, so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people for a whole year. 
the Apostle Paul received hospitality. Uh, Barnabas as well. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were welcomed for a whole year. Now that might make you a little nervous. I have to welcome someone for a whole year. But in an early church, there's this document called the Didache, which is describing uh, a principle that people were to follow, sort of a rule of thumb. If someone stayed three days, uh, they were probably being greedy. And so that's how you could know that they were possibly a false teacher. So there's wisdom questions involved. You know, it's possible that Paul went from, from house to house. It's possible that he was obviously not a false teacher and people took him in a little longer. But there are wisdom questions involved. But our tendency is to say, well, there's that kind of situation. There's that thing that could happen. Uh, so I should not offer hospitality. But the word of God says something different. It says to do it, to do it in Jesus name. You see, the early church was known for offering hospitality. Romans 12, verse 13 tells us about uh, the, pract uh, the need to be given to hospitality. And even a widow in 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, is described as being well reported for good works if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Imagine that, a widow. I can't take a stranger into my home. I'm a widow, you know, but she's being commended in the word of God. First Timothy 5.10 for lodging strangers. Now, these are believers. These are these are not the, the false teachers. These are believers in Jesus Christ, but they're they're strange. They're they're people that she didn't know. And Hebrews 13 says, don't be don't do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. And you say, well, okay, I'll wait until an angel comes along or the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, and then I'll, I'll, I'll show hospitality to them. But see, they are unwittingly entertaining angels. They don't know. They're being told in other parts of the word of God to practice hospitality. And then unwittingly, some have entertained angels. Well, the Lord Jesus makes it clear uh, the motivation for this. In Matthew 25 and verse 35, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. What is he saying? He's saying that when you offer hospitality to his people, when you offer hospitality to people that are joined to him, you're taking in him. That ought to be enough motivation for us. We're done. The risen Christ tells us that if we offer hospitality, um, that we are taking him in. But it's important that we see that the problem of the false teachers actually picked up steam because this was such a regular practice. Missionary preachers, evangelists, and house churches were an ordinary part of life. We read about house churches in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19 says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Philemon 2 says to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. House churches. It was, it was a normal part of everyday life uh, for Christians. And Titus 1 verse 8 speaks of the requirement for overseers in the church. They are to be hospitable. But we know that that call is not just for overseers in the church. It's not just for elders. It's not just for deacons. It's not just for ministers. It's for each of us because 
this verse says, without restriction, be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another. We are called upon to do it in Jesus' name. We're called upon to be hospitable because Jesus has provided the means. He's provided the people who are joined to him. He's provided the providential arrangement of their schedules so that they're in our path. And he's provided the resources that we have to use. And then we come to the last part of the verse. And this is maybe the most uh, significant for us as we consider our stance toward hospitality. Be hospitable without grumbling. Without grumbling. Without grumbling or murmuring. It actually has a background. It's that passage that we read in Exodus 16, where uh, the word of God says in verse 7, that the people of God are complaining against uh, Moses and Aaron. And he, and he says um, in verse 8, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. They're actually complaining against the living God. And then Moses speaks to Aaron and he says to all the congregation, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. They're complaining against the living God. This is picked up in Philippians chapter 2, where we're told to do everything without complaining. Certainly the practice of hospitality, certainly the practice of, of offering hospitality. We're, uh, Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The same verb is used in 1 Corinthians 10.10, which says, Do not complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by this destroyer. What's the origin of these complaints? Well, some of it's fear. Some of it's concern for our property, concern for our personal safety. What if this person takes advantage of me? What if they stay too long? What if they use something and never pay me back? What if they break something in my house? This is like saying, I don't like the way God has ordained my circumstances. In this case, bringing this person across my path on this day of all days. I mean, I was all just prepared to work on my Palestinian wood puzzle. <laughs> and it takes a lot of time to, to put this puzzle together. I need to concentrate, and this person is across my path. And so faith and thanksgiving and joy go out the window. We're told to... Make it a priority, not to grumble about it. A priority means that we cut back on other things. Maybe the Palestinian wood puzzle can wait so that we can be hospitable. Sometimes a priority means that we have to, we have to or rearrange our finances or our time. And so the Lord is stretching us. He's stretching us more and more, little by little, to grow in our capability for hospitality without grumbling. And so there another objection is raised. Isn't this a cultural thing? I mean, I know that there are people in different cultures and it's hospitality just part of the, the way of life. But that's not part of our culture. The idea of bringing someone into someone's home who's not a family member is, is shocking in certain cultures. It's the opposite of what you should be doing. But we need to remember that the Bible changes culture, not the other way around. When culture changes the Bible, then we're actually misunderstanding the Bible. 
We need to remember that the people who received hospitality in the time in which this uh, letter is written uh, and the time in which uh, Jesus came into the world, inns were dangerous places. We easily recognize the problem when we consider how Mary and Joseph tried to find a place to lodge when they were in Bethlehem for the census and there was no room for them. We also know that we have been told that we are uh, to not forget to entertain strangers because by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Entertain strangers. And then in Hebrews 13, it goes on to talk about ministering to people who are prisoners, who are mistreated. That's amazing because Jesus Christ in Matthew 25 speaks about hospitality to strangers and he talks about ministry to prisoners or mistreated people in Matthew 25, verse 35, and then Matthew 25, verse 36. The very same messages that are given to us in Hebrews 13, Jesus has already spoken about in Matthew 25. You see, at this time, Christian preachers and teachers depended on the openness of Christian homes for shelter, for the provision of food, and uh, that passage that we just read in 3 John uh, tells us about such a situation. Here's the thing. When John writes, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. When he writes that, he's talking about actually serving people and providing for people who cannot give back. They cannot reciprocate. They're from out of town. They're, they're serving on the way. They're, they're going from place to place. They do not have a, a, a steady job in your neighborhood. They don't have the resources. And we're actually seeing uh, Christians providing hospitality on the pages of the, the New Testament. We see that uh, John is commending believers because they have practiced this hospitality. So how do we get there? How do we get to the point where we offer hospitality without grumbling? I mean, it's, it's the most uh, uh, difficult thing for us to, to see interruptions take place when we have our, our schedule all planned, when we think that things are going in a certain way, and then all of a sudden we're being called upon to offer hospitality to someone. We need to remember that just like our uh, brotherly love is grounded in our relationship to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so is hospitality. There's a broader context to it. Ultimately, we are God's guests. He offers hospitality to us. We just sang from Psalm 104, and that's all about this subject. The idea that God provides abundantly. It's about divine hospitality. And this pattern is also seen in Psalm 23. This passage that we just sung from and we're about to read responsively. But I want you to see something. If we look at Psalm 23, it changes. It changes about from speaking about the Lord to speaking to the Lord. And it changes from speaking about the Lord as the one who guides his sheep to the one who is the guest, or the host, and we are the guests. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Ultimately, a lot of those safety questions that come into view, come into view as we consider the wisdom of God's word and as we consider the protection that is given to us by the living God. I need fear no evil because he's the one who protects me. But then the Psalms shifts, you see. And the Lord is the, the host and we are the guests. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. We are his guests now, and we are his guests forever in his house. He has provided for all living things. Psalm 104 screams it. He's providing for us on a daily basis. He's providing for us in significant and powerful ways. We just read, uh, we just were singing, How Sweet and Awful is the Place with Christ Within the Doors, While Everlasting Love Displays the Choicest of Your Stores. The guest is each one of us. And then that stanza that says, "'Twas the same love that spread the feast." that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. If he did not pursue us with hospitality after he spread the feast, we would not have partaken. Because he's drawn us in, you see. We are actually those who benefit from his hospitality. But you know something? It's, a, it's deeper than that. It's not just hospitality that he provides. He provides hospitality for all living things. We read that in Psalm 104. No, it's something more than that. More than hospitality. It's the greatest form of hospitality that you can demonstrate. God has adopted us. He's brought us into the family. That's what First Peter began to say. As we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Have you been born again, born from above? Have you been born as one who's part of the family of God through Jesus Christ? Have you received Jesus? Then you are part of the family of God. You are part of his own family. And that's why Jesus Christ says that whenever we do this, uh, work of hospitality for those who belong to, to him, those who are joined to Jesus Christ, that we are doing it unto him. We're doing it to a family member, someone who's part of the body of Christ. How can you show hospitality? How can you grow in this way? Well, the first thing is to remember to do it, even because it's being done to the risen Christ. Secondly, to do it to one another to show hospitality, especially to believers in Jesus Christ, and to offer this hospitality without grumbling, because we have the great privilege of being guests of the living God who hosts us now and forever. And we are part of the family 
And this is how the family rules. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this call to engage in genuine hospitality. And we know that this must be done through the presence of the risen Christ. It must be done through his power. It must be done through his spirit. We must have wisdom. There are questions that we need to answer. There are decisions that have to be made. We have questions about resources and we have questions about commitments. But we need the motivation, first of all. We need the call from you, the living God. And we need to know that we are offering hospitality because we are those who are your guests in a world that you have uh, shown to be benefiting from your continual hospitality. But there's even more because you are providing for us a place that is called your house where we will dwell forever. And you have brought us into the family. We are joined to the risen Christ. And so, Father, we ask that because of all of these statements of who you are and what you are doing, that we would be those who grow in the practice of hospitality, that we might serve one another as, we're, as if we're serving Jesus. And we pray that you would in this way build up and strengthen your people who are witnesses in a fallen world to the great host and the one who's able to bring men and women and boys and girls into the family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.